The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Loom. Now, I welcome you back because today I'm going to be focusing on some of our previous guests from designated specialties. So what I've done is we've collected all the sessions on certain specialties that we feel like um, many of you call or email and text about. And we're putting together snippets of their interviews so that you get a little bit of a, excitement, right, with, with listening, and that you see that the theme is common. A lot of people have the same type of advice, but it just varies from person to person. So what you'll find is the first combination, which you're going to listen today, is um, a general surgery combination, which is a combo of four general surgeons. I have Dr. Ogu, who turned into plastic surgery, and Dr. Okoye, who's a general surgery resident, Dr. Sony, who's also a plastic surgeon now, and Dr. Johnson, who is a current general surgery resident. And I put their experiences together because what is better than one thing, right? Four different things, right? If I can get four different people and put their perspective together and you as a surgery aspirant, you'd be able to have all that information in one episode. So go ahead and keep your earbuds in and keep on listening. Tonight on the show, I have Dr. Stan Ogu. He is a plastic surgeon out of Texas. But before further ado, guys, we know, we all know in medicine, there's certain specialties that are just so difficult to get into. And that's even for U.S. grads, even for people that attend medical school here. But we have today on the show a physician that I met on Instagram just very recently, and I was so moved by his story. But before further, I want him to just go ahead and tell us about himself. Dr. Stan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Nina. So I'm going to introduce myself. Just like you said, my name is Dr. Stanley Ogu, originally from Nigeria. I am a plastic surgeon based in Houston, Texas. I uh, came to America after my medical school in Nigeria in 2008. Um, and I uh, initially did a general surgery residency, eventually transitioned to a plastic surgery fellowship, and um, I finished my training uh, in 2018. I've been practicing as a plastic surgeon in the Houston area of uh, Texas since then. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I'm so inspired just reading about you on the internet and looking at the work that you do with the stories that you share through social media. It looks like if I need a body makeover, I know where to go. Uh, yeah, so just some additional questions uh, regarding some of the things that you mentioned. So you mentioned moving here in 2008. Can you tell us where you went to medical school in Nigeria? Maybe what part of Nigeria that you're from? Yes, yeah, so I was uh, uh, born and I grew up uh, in the largest uh, city in Nigeria, like one of the largest in, in, in uh, Africa, Lagos, Nigeria. So I, I did all my medical school training at the University of Lagos, Nigeria, one of the foremost medical institutions uh, in Nigeria. The full name is the College of Medicine, the University of Lagos. So I spent about six years there, uh, which is the length of time medical school takes uh, in Nigeria. Um, and after that, uh, I moved on in 2008 after graduation. Okay. 
Did you take your boards in Nigeria or did you do them here in the States? So I started studying board and took the fourth step before I moved to the United States. I, I started reading for it in the final year of medical school. Um, and then uh, actually at the time, I, I don't know if it's the same, probably is, you could not take the USMLEs in Nigeria. I had to travel to Ghana, a neighboring country, I had to take the, the step one. Um, and after taking the step one, then I you know, uh, finished up my, my training and then I moved down here and took the rest of the steps uh, in America. Awesome. Because we know, you know, a lot of IMGs that reach out to me that have aspirations in the surgical disciplines, they're always usually a lot more, in my opinion, scared compared to those that reach out with questions regarding medical disciplines. And by inference, we all know that some surgical specialties have higher score requirements. Can you walk us through sort of target scores for, because you did mention that you participated in a general surgery rotation or residency prior to matching into plastics. Can you walk us through step one performance, how important that is and what target scores we should be looking at for general surgery? And then in addition, if you want to share your score, we definitely appreciate that as well. Yes. So I think um, the step one score is the most important criteria. And I know this is not just based on my experience, but also I've been involved while I was in training as a chief resident a couple of times uh, with the selection process and you know how the uh, the interviewers think and how they view these applicants, and especially if you're uh, an IMG, uh, your step one score is critical. You know, it, it's what might get you a foot in the door to even get an interview or what might uh, cause them not to even look at your application. Uh, specifically talking about uh, the surgical residencies, I would suggest that you aim for a step one score above 240. My step one score, geez, let me try to remember, it was uh, probably 249 or 250. I don't remember exactly. But, um, you know, and what I've noticed is that since I did my exam about 10 years ago, up to now, and looking at the the quality of the applicants and the candidates, it's gotten a lot more competitive. So, at the time, the you know, my score was you know great, phenomenal. But this time, it's probably the average for anyone applying to the surgical specialties or, or plastic surgery. And so, it's gotten a lot more competitive. So, I'll definitely say again, aim for scores above 240. Just aim as high as possible, but certainly above 240, uh, especially for step one. I would say the same for uh, the step two, uh, but the step one is the more critical score that you should want to score as high as possible. Right. And do you remember, I feel like I also took step one many years ago. I think I did it in 2008 or 2009. I can't remember. But, you know, I think the test has changed a lot since then. And back then, the resources that we used were very different from what's on the market now. Are there particular resources that you recommend from your experience or from maybe working with or teaching medical students while you were in training? Are there particular resources that help more than others? Yeah, so I'll um, talk about what I used, but with a caveat that that was 10 years ago, because even the materials that we used at the time have sort of changed a little bit in their focus. There's new things to study and new findings, and so some of it has changed. But in general, I think it's remained similar to what I used. And at the time, what I did was I had what they call Kaplan notes, which I think still exist. I also had the first aid for the USMLE. And I did a lot of questions from uh, USMLE World, which is a question bank, which at the time was very effective. I have been out of academia for a couple of years now. 
uh, you know, I was you know in it during my training, and so I met a lot of students, and you know, I kind of followed their progress. And I know that at the time they were still using like, the first aid and uh, the USMLE world. Um, I don't know about the Kaplan notes if that's what's currently sort of like the top notch recommended study material, but that was what I used about ten years ago. So just another question that I get a lot, you know, did you have any gaps between, considering that you graduated from your six-year curriculum in Nigeria before moving to the States, did you have any gaps between, you know, graduation, actually beginning your first general surgery residency program, and how did that affect, you know, the outcome, so to speak, if you did have any? Yes, I I did have um, a gap, and I think this is something that a lot of people a lot of INGs coming to the United States do not really appreciate until they get there. Uh, like I said, I took the first step during my final year of medical school, and my plan was to finish and then come over here and take the rest. However, you got to remember that when you're done taking the test and you've got to apply, the application cycle starts in one year and ends in a different year. And then you, you, if, you, if you match, then you start a residence in that second year. So... If you haven't taken all your steps, by the time you come to the States, you're definitely going to have at least a year gap. So in my case, I had a gap from early 2008 when I moved down till I started a residency in 2009, in mid-2009. So at the time I was working, you know, I was tutoring um, students for Princeton Review and and Kaplan, uh, doing other things I could to keep myself busy. But I did have that gap. Now, it never came up during my interviews as, as an issue. I guess if the, if the gap wasn't that significant or if you were obviously applying yourself, doing things. I was also doing observerships at the time. And so I think it wasn't, wasn't a major issue. Again, being, having been part of the selection process, I do know that large gaps are an issue. And if you have graduated many, many years prior to the year that you're applying, um, that is also an issue, something that is frowned upon. But I think a gap of a year or so for an IMG is typically not a huge deal. Right. And what I'm really hearing from what you shared is, you know, even while you were during the time of that one-year gap, you were actively involved in sort of academic activities because you were participating in observerships. You were tutor for Kaplan or, and Princeton Review. So in a sense, you you know, you weren't just sw- sitting around like twiddling your thumbs. I think that also plays a big role because I get a lot of messages from IMGs who maybe have taken five years off to be homemakers or, you know, six years off and they're really not doing anything academically relevant. And that also, in my opinion, more as a as a prior person that was a chief resident in, in, in a medicine program, I'm looking at it more so as that's also being frowned upon. So it's important to keep an academically relevant activity, whether that's research or an observership or being clinically relevant during that time. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely correct. I've had um, some colleagues and also some other IMGs who have mentored who, you know, also had a bit of a gap. I'm talking two, three, four years, but within that time frame, they were either doing a master's and concomitantly doing some research, or they were still involved in the medicine space. And so they were making contacts, meeting mentors, you know, getting letters of recommendation. So by the time they were ready to apply, it didn't seem like they had really been away from medicine. Because I think it's that the gap, uh, when that gap is filled with nothing clinically significant, that's when, you know, it's a major problem. Or if it's a very long gap, regardless of what you're doing, if the gap is very long, they feel like, you know, 
that's an issue. That's something that affects your application negatively. Right, right. Thank you for touching on that point. So just another question. Do you mind telling us maybe where you graduated, general surgery residency, and where you did your plastic surgery training? Yes, absolutely. So I did my general surgery residency in Pennsylvania, um, Instant Hospital of Pennsylvania um, with uh, Drexel College of Medicine. And uh, I did my plastic surgery um, at Indiana University in Indianapolis, Indiana. Welcome to the show, Dr. Okoye. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Doing great. It's my pleasure to have you on. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Amara Okoye. I'm a Nigerian-Canadian. I was actually born in Nigeria. I moved to Canada when I was 16 years old, um, finished high school in Canada, undergrad in Canada. Then I went to Ross University, then in Dominica for medical school. In medical, before going to medical school, I, I kind of knew I wanted to do surgery, but I wasn't really exposed to it. But in medical school, I made that decision pretty much in my first semester. So I pretty much tailored everything I did towards trying to get into surgery. Right now, currently, I'm at SUNY Upstate Medical University. I'm at PGY1 General Surgery. I have four siblings. I think things about me outside of medicine, I have four siblings. I'm very close to my family. I think that's what keeps me grounded. Yeah, that's amazing. I think everybody needs, you need some kind of outlet, right? Because medicine gets so busy and sometimes we undermine like ourselves outside of medicine. Like we're a whole person (laughs) beyond the medical pathway. So thanks for including that on there. So yeah, so let's just dig into it a little bit. This podcast, as you know, we focus on you know, maybe sharing the stories of successful IMGs so that those that are, you know, looking back, maybe they're starting out in the Caribbean and sort of charting their own territory. And so we like to ask questions about your journey so we can learn from it. So are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yep. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more about maybe studying for steps, knowing full well that you were aiming for surgery? What was that process like for you? For me, the process was, I remember in first semester, a friend of mine told me in anatomy lab, after I told her I wanted to do surgery, she looked at me and she was like, you have to get a 250 on the step. To be honest, I did not know what the step was. This was first semester of medical school. I had no idea what she was talking about. I'm Canadian. We don't have the step in Canada. So I went home that day. I looked into it and, you know, it was just pretty much trying to read about people who had a 250 and what they did. And I just decided to settle for short-term goals. And those short-term goals for me were doing well in my semesters in medical school. And I think that was the most important thing that I ever did to study for step one, was taking every semester and trying to learn the material as well as I could. Because come step one, I you didn't have time to, that's not the time to relearn new material. It's just the time to quickly review and you know go through questions and know how to take standardized exams. So for me, I would definitely say it's learning every semester, setting short-term goals like, I want to get a 90 in this exam. I want to get a 90 in that exam. Just those short-term goals and working towards them is what eventually leads to the success and your big goal of like step one. Absolutely. I mean, you just hit a nail on the head with that point that you made because this is a, it's a hot topic I get a lot in one of my courses that I offer with the IMG Roadmap course where Sometimes students ask me, hey, you know, how do I study for USMLE? 
and they're just starting out medical school. And I usually tell them, you have to first learn the concept as a student because USMLE prep is a review season. It's not learning, like you said. And it's amazing to me how maybe sometimes we lose focus and say we start using like a review book on day one. Like you can't be reviewing something you haven't studied. So I really like that you pointed that out. Right. I like that you pointed that out because that's a strong point. You know, it's sort of a pet peeve of mine, like seeing students study from review books when review books are meant to be reviewed, meaning you've already studied the concept and you're coming back around for a second pass. Exactly. Yeah. So definitely. And obviously to your, how that affected you, like it sounds like that was a cumulative effect for you because then, you know, Hey, I'm going to get a 90 on anatomy and physio and, you know, and you work your way up into that first two years of medical school being complete and then having to study for the boards. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, so many, I just want to know, they have the same goals. Like they want to match into general surgery or other surgical specialties. Can you give us a little bit of the rundown of requirements, scores, what other things that makes the application good enough for IMGs? You know, I think being an IMG, you have to stand out. Of course, there are those programs that would not interview an IMG, but there are a lot of programs that will give you the opportunity. So for me, I had to look at what, as an IMG, what about me stands out to the typical American American applicant. And for me, I had to realize that it, my scores were going to get me at least an interview. That's why I started working on the scores, at, you know, as a medical student, I, 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 was, I needed to do well on step one. I needed to score at a certain percentile to have someone even take a look at my application. Because I'm not just an IMG, I'm also Canadian. So I wasn't even an American citizen. I needed a visa. And I think that's very important. Also, during your rotations, like just showing up and putting in your best work, being vocal that you want to do surgery so that your attendants know that's what you want to do. And, you know, pretty much know you're going to be asking them for a solid letter. I think that also goes a long way. If you're able to do rotation at known places where your letter writer might be a well-known surgeon also helps. And I would also say as an IMG, the prelim route is also a good route to go. I didn't go that route, but I've seen, you know, if you think there are things that are, there are weaknesses in your application, like scores, you cannot change your scores or letters and you, you don't think they are strong. I do think the prelim route is an opportunity to show yourself. As long as you go to a program who actually gives good opportunities to their prelim and has a track record of taking their prelims in, I do think it's a year worth sacrificing for what you actually want to do. Right. And for those who are listening who may not be familiar with, say, the prelim route versus what you're in, which is a categorical route, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. Prelim is pretty much a one-year contract. You're, you, it can be an internal medicine, transitional year, or general surgery, meaning you have to go back into the match. You have to apply come September of that year. Again, categorical for general surgery, general surgery is five, five to seven years. So it is a contract that guarantees you training that you're going to advance into every year. It guarantees you a sport throughout the five years that you're going to graduate. As long as you meet the requirements, you're going to keep advancing and eventually graduate. But with the prelim year, it's just a one-year contract. You have to go back into the match. Right. So can you explain a little bit, because you mentioned general surgery is five to seven years. It's going to be a pressing question. Other people are going to have, they'll, they'll want to know the answer to is when, when is it a five-year course and when is it a seven-year course? It's five years of surgical training and it becomes seven if you decide to go to a lab or take two years off to do just pure research. 
So a lot of the programs are either straight seven years. A lot of the university programs right now are actually seven years where you have to take two years mandatory research. My program is like a hybrid. You have the choice to take the two years, but it's not compulsory. Right. That's good to know. So talking about research, you know, a lot of uh, applicants want to know how much research is needed to make your application competitive. And is it a hard stop requirement for them to have research as students or research experience as students in order to be accepted into general surgery programs. So what are your thoughts on that? I don't think it's a hard stop. Research never hurts you. It's only going to benefit you. So if you do have that opportunity, I think it's definitely something worth getting into. But again, you don't want to do something that you have no interest in. Just to say you're doing research, you want to make sure you have an interest in it. Because, and also where it comes in is where you're applying to. If you're applying to a highly academic program that is a seven-year program, for example, they would prefer if you have research. And I do think most of the residents in those programs have prior research. If you're applying to a community program that does not have the research requirement, they usually don't have a hard stop research requirement. So even if you have no publications, like I have no publications, zero. And I had no problems getting interviews and matching because it's just, I think, I think research helps if you have some weaknesses in the application, it's only going to help make it look better. It's never going to hurt you. So it's not an opportunity to run away from, but it's not a hard stop. It's not a reason not to apply to something just because you have no publication. Right, right. Thanks for sharing that. So, you know, on the show, most of our listeners want to know sort of your exact story. Like they, they, we thrive of learning what worked for you. And we know that everybody's path is different. We know everybody has a different, you know, set of conditions and variables, but they want to know, what did your application look like? How many letters did you get from surgeons? Where did you find these letter writers? What was your personal statement like? How many programs do you apply into? Can you work us in through, just walk us through a little bit of your ERAS preparation? Mm-hmm. I applied to, I'll start with the application. I did a, I did a lot of research. It, it took me months to actually go through. I used Frida, the app where I would just go future general surgery and visa. I would just put the J1 visa. And that filtered that for surgery went down from 360 to like 260 programs. And then I looked at where they were located. I looked at what sorts of programs they were. I didn't apply to the seven-year programs. Just that's not my interest right now. So I, I took those out. I filtered those out also. And that took them down to about you know 200 programs that were straight five years or the opportunity to do seven if you change your mind. And I actually emailed the programs before the application season. This happened in the summer for me. I emailed every single one of them. And I asked, my question was very specific. I told them I'm a Canadian IMG. And I wanted to know if they interview and accept Canadian IMGs into their categorical spots. And you'll be surprised. A lot of programs actually replied me. And some of them told me, to be honest, they do not take IMGs into categorical spot. It doesn't matter how amazing you are you have to go through the prelim routes. So those programs I knew I wasn't, because I did not want to apply to prelim programs. So I didn't. I knew I wasn't going to apply to those. And that helped me filter them down to about 100 programs, and that's what I applied to. My name's Ash Sony. I am a plastic and reconstructive surgery attending. It's been a long road. As most IMGs probably know, I 
Um, I, I started off actually in London. I born and brought up in the UK and went to medical school at Imperial College in London. And during kind of med school, I thought about the US as an option. My brother had moved out there for, for different reasons. And because of that, I think there was a family connection. And I think it kind of started the thought process behind the move to the US. And so I started doing electives out in the US during medical school and really started to get pretty interested in, in the idea of that. So I ended up, and we can, we'll obviously go into this in more detail in the talk, but during the interview, but I, I ended up essentially matching a, for a research fellowship at Cornell in New York, Presbyterian in New York. Um, I then went to Johns Hopkins to do general surgery and did my intern year there and then matched in plastic and reconstructive surgery in Seattle at University of Washington. I completed my training there, and then I moved back to the UK fellowship where I did a microvascular and oncoplastic surgery fellowship for a year. And I've just, do it, I've just launched my own private practice called the Sodium Clinic. And so I'm now based back in the UK, but it was uh, about eight years in the States. Yeah, I mean, that's a long time training and fellowship and going back to the UK to complete another fellowship. I mean, that's, you sound very accomplished and I know you are. So congratulations. That's really great work. So, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are somewhere between starting out medical school in a foreign country and then trying to get into residency. So let's go back to your beginning. At what point, where'd you go to medical school, the name of your school? And then at what point in your medical education did you decide this is where I'm going to train in the US. Yeah, I, so I went to medical school at Imperial College in London in the UK. And, you know, for me, London was pretty, pretty near to my to home. So that was kind of where I'd always known and, and always loved. I think for me, the trigger point, I'd gone out to the US a lot as a kid, just on family holidays, to be honest. And then my brother had moved out to the US to become, you know, a lawyer out there. And I think that initially kind of, began my thought process to like, maybe I should consider the US as well. Like my brother had gone out there and I didn't know much about the US system. So I went out there during med school and did some summer experiences. I did some observerships and electives out there, mostly around New York State. And I think that triggered it for me. I think after those electives and observerships, I realized how much autonomy and independence surgeons got out in the US compared to what I was seeing in medical school in the UK. And I thought, you know, this is I didn't really know much about the system, so I started to look into it. Probably, I would say, around two-thirds of my way into medical school. So it wasn't early on, but I didn't actually begin my USMLE exams until I graduated medical school. Okay. And the reason I ask that question is because, you know, I find some students wanting to pursue this path, mm-hmm. but they're starting, they're starting out after graduation from medical school mm-hmm. or... They are, they've been out of medical school and are sort of in a limbo phase. And then they're like, oh, let me do this. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from your story, because like I said before, very accomplished, fairly successful, very successful in what you've done, thankfully, but it didn't just start overnight, right? Like right. this is something that you started working on once you got exposed to those electives in medical school. And yeah. you were actually already here doing an elective, which really was sort of like a way for you to see what was different about the medical practice. Because that's another thing I get from students is they don't realize you don't just start this process overnight. Like you just don't become a plastic surgeon out of the blue. It's a well thought out process that requires hard work, dedication, and level of commitment traveling Mm -hmm. from London to come here to do rotations and then finding your way into really trying to understand the system Mm -hmm. so that you can fit yourself into the system accordingly. Because I would assume during that time, that's where you figured out how do I study for the steps? And what school yeah. do I need for 
for a plastic surgery residency and where do I even apply? You know, yeah. and doing that background work starts early. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. I mean, you've made some extremely valuable and important points. I think I actually get messaged a lot by IMGs in exactly the same situation that you're telling me. And I think for me, it was a well thought out plan. I think from early on in medical school, once I kind of midway through when I started thinking about America as an idea, I started spending a few weeks every summer going out there and doing experience. And not just for my CV, it was actually at the time more for me to understand what I was, what kind of system I was going into and whether or not it's even something I wanted to do. You know, I was from the UK and from London and I wasn't desperate to go over to the US. I really wanted to make sure that the reasons why I went were for the right reasons and also to understand what, what it all encompassed and what, you know, what the, what the kind of path looked like. And as we all know, it's no easy path to go to the US as a foreign graduate. And so I wanted to obviously make sure that in my mind, I knew everything involved with the steps, what all the best study resources were for it. I did all my research for about two years before I even embarked upon doing the steps. So I think this was something that I had been thinking about. But yeah, it definitely wasn't an overnight decision. It was something that was, for me, a formulated plan over about two, three years. Right. So I really like that you started off with that. Now, so you're in Imperial College of London, which I've heard about. Actually, when I did a rotation and as a medical student, I had a friend, Young Me, and she was from that same school and she was doing, we did a rotation in pediatrics together in Chicago. So I've heard about the school quite a bit, but you are in that process. You come to the States, do rotations. You start to formulate your plan towards the steps. Can you walk us through how you studied for USMLE while keeping up with your medical school curriculum simultaneously with, you know, this back and forth traveling for clinicals? How did you manage that? And really we're driving towards, you know, your performance on the USMLE because you've done an interview with me before and you've really laid this out. And I'll include that as well in the show notes for anybody listening so that they can go and read what you've written before. So we're not being redundant, but maybe give us a little bit of a storyline as to how you were able to maneuver these things because you scored really well, but then beyond that, you put in the work as well. So walk us through how you manage time, study materials, or how did you even approach the USMLE while being a student in a medical school, in a pretty competitive medical school, world standards, simultaneously with this process? Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, definitely. I can definitely walk through, through the process. Actually, for me, Imperial College was a really tough medical school in London. I mean, we were, at the time, either number one or number two in the UK and around number four around in the top five in the world, actually, for med school. So the, the pressure was on, you know, it was a tough medical school. And I, made, I consciously made the decision at the time while I was studying that I wasn't going to sit my USMLEs during medical school. So I had done research. I'd signed up to the UL question bank just to go over some questions and see what the process was like. But I never actually embarked upon full-time studying until I finished medical school, which I know a lot of students who reach out, you know, try and do it within med school. For me, I wanted to focus 100% of my attention on my med school and the final exams that we had, which were tough. So I did a bit of reading of first aid. I did a bit of UWorld Question Bank during, during kind of the last couple of years just to get a taster of what it was like. But as soon as I graduated medical school, I basically sat all my steps in about six or seven months. So I didn't start my job in London. I actually rejected it because I knew I wanted to go to the US and I gave myself seven months at home, basically like 15 hours a day and just studied. So I did each part in three months. So I did my step one, I took three months to study for it. Step two CK is three months. And then I flew out to do my step two CS exam. 
it's it's an un, maybe a bit more of an unconventional way because I you know people are like wow you did step one like six years after you studied all that stuff and for me the step one was hard because I hadn't studied that st- the foundation and basic biochem stuff in years so that was a tougher one for me step two CK was fine but I used first aid book I used the U World question bank which I went over at least twice over the whole bank for each step because I think that was probably the greatest resource. For any, in, in my opinion, I also used Kaplan, the online modules for step one, which was important for me because I hadn't done it in so many years. And I also signed up for the Kaplan question bank, which was a tougher question bank than New World, but it was just something to supplement and just do additional questions and different types of questions. So for me, I think the two greatest things are obviously first aid in New World, which I think most people know, but you World question bank, I would recommend anyone goes over that bank at least twice because it has really good explanations so for the answers so yeah i agree i used you world quite a bit as well throughout my medical education for step one all the way to step three and i used kaplan only once for step one preparation like mm-hmm. you said it's very broad but it's good if you want to know the nitty-gritty and i found you world to be very helpful especially if you study the explanations like yes. if you study the educational objective and how the concepts are broken down or how you arrive to the right answer. So it's not about really just the question bank. It's about your level of critical thinking as to how you arrive at the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. So, you know, then you, you complete USMLEs and you pivot into beginning that process of seeking out plastic surgery residency. Can you tell us how that worked out for you? How did you want How'd you find the the places to apply into? How did you pick where to apply into? How many, you know, visa stuff and and that kind of stuff? Can you give us some of your experience there? Absolutely, yeah. So I was in the UK. I did all my steps, got the ECFMG certification. And during that time of while I was studying for the steps, I was flying out to America for research fellowship interviews. So my plan was to start a research fellowship while I was applying through the match. And so I was actively looking... I emailed around a number of institutions, directly emailed some of the attendings actually in the specialty I wanted. Welcome to the show, Dr. Johnson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on this show. My pleasure. So as she said, I'm Dr. Johnson. I came from Guyana. Most people don't know where that is, but that's in South America. Okay. I went to medical school there, the University of Guyana School of Medicine, quite some time ago, and it took me a long journey to get to surgery residency in the U.S., which we'll talk about soon. Yes. So you're originally from Guyana. Did you spend your entire life in Guyana, or had you... Uh, did you train in the U.S. any prior to this whole match process? So I spent most of my early life in Guyana, and then I moved to Trinidad, where I worked as a house officer at the Department of Surgery. So I was actually practicing there for some years before moving here. So prior to the match, I didn't have any U.S. clinical experience or U.S. LORs, for, for that matter. So I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be given this opportunity. But it, it came after a lot of challenges along the way. Right. So let's let's try to create a timeline for the listener. 
when did you graduate medical school and where was that? Was that in Trinidad or in Guyana? So I graduated in 2012, actually, and that was in Guyana. So I did like about three months of internship in Guyana at Georgetown Public Hospital. And then I moved to Trinidad and I repeated internship there, which then consisted of another 12 months where you rotate like in surgery, pediatrics, OBGYN, and internal medicine, like three months of each. Afterwards, you can apply for a job as a house officer in whichever specialty you like. Initially, funny story, I actually wanted to do medicine first, but working in medicine, I didn't really like it. I actually enjoyed surgery more, enjoyed working with my hands. I realized that at that point, I was very procedural and I liked doing procedures and like seeing the patients improve before your eyes. You remove their appendix or something and they get better the next day. Whereas in the Caribbean, the primary healthcare system wasn't so good. So with medicine, a lot of the patients just went home for two weeks and they came back like they just keep coming back. Right. So I didn't feel as though I was getting enough job satisfaction in that specialty. So I switched gears completely. And then I applied to become a house officer in the Department of Surgery at uh, Eric Williams Medical Science Complex in Trinidad. So that's like a tertiary hospital in Trinidad. Okay. One of the main ones. Uh, it's it's a, it could be considered like an academic institution where the University of the West Indies have several programs that are attached to the hospital. There's actually a DM in surgery, urology, orthopedics, internal medicine. So they are like local Caribbean residency programs that are run in that hospital. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And did you get to practice in Trinidad as a physician, as a full-fledged physician prior to pursuing this USMLE journey? Yes. So I was actually practicing as a house officer. So a house officer, if you want to think of the British system compared to the U.S., it's like a it's sort of like a resident level, but you're fully licensed. So I, I guess it's supposed like after you get your step three to that extent, but you're not an, uh, say a senior resident, which would probably be like a registrar and an attending would be like a consultant. If you want to uh, find the equivalent uh, level of uh, the hierarchy in that system. Right. So a pulse officer could be thought of like a resident PGY one to three sort of level. So I was at that level for a few years, rotating among different specialties. So I worked like for a bit in neurosurgery, plastic surgery, general surgery, pediatric surgery, thoracic surgery, orthopedics. I actually fell in love with orthopedics because I actually liked physics for a bit back in high school. And I wanted to <laughs> consider becoming an engineer at one point. Yeah. But the, yeah, but then I changed medicine. Uh, so yeah, so I actually wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I applied to that first initially, not knowing how super competitive it was in the U.S. Right. Right. So let's get into your U.S. story then, because right now we're interviewing you and you're about to start your PGY2 year. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. PGY2 categorical 
general surgery physician. So I initially started last year as a PGY-1 prelim, which is pretty much common for most IMGs. That's where we start, especially if you do not have like significant U.S. clinical experience and a lot of U.S. Uh, letters of recommendations, but just maybe perhaps good scores and maybe some surgical experience. So most times you get a prelim position. From that position, you, you need to try to work yourself to get a spot either at the same institution as a PGY-1 the following year, or you could apply for a PGY-2 spot at another institution if that opens up. Or sometimes you could even do a, a second prelim PGY year, right? But fortunately for me, I was able to get a PGY-2 spot. And the big role in that, to making that successful, is uh, you absolutely need to have someone in the U.S. that is uh, actually, I would say, you know, rooting for you and trying to get you placed in a sense. I mean, yes, you have to work hard and there's a lot you could do on your own account. But as an IMG, if you do not have like someone in the US that's writing good letters for you, that's making phone calls for you, it's, it's really, really difficult for that to happen all on its own, all on your own accord. Networking is very, very, very important. And that's one of the things in like retrospect, like I would advise anyone that's coming along now, you know, go to the U.S. before, do rotations, network with program directors and other people, do some research, you know, get your name out there so that people know you. And that way people could vouch for you and, you know, make calls for you and you get yourself in a program. I mean, I did, I mean, I did on my, I did well on my own card to make myself uh, an attractive applicant because, for instance, say there's this exam that surgical residents write every year, the American Board of Surgery in training exam. Given the fact that I had a few years experience practicing in surgery already, so I already came with a strong knowledge base. So I didn't really, I mean, yeah, I did put in the work. I still to this day read, read daily, but it was easy for me. So for my score, I scored the 99th percentile which is like uh if you're familiar with with statistics is a very small number of people that would actually get that kind of score as like the right. far right of the normal distribution right right so yeah. I, yeah so i scored that score and that really helped me in uh my applications to get a second year position so i got a few interviews based on that but my program director at the time, he made calls for me as well, which facilitated that process even more. So that's why I, I, one of the things I learned that networking and, you know, getting yourself out there and knowing people is very, very important. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like, I believe networking is just as valuable in medicine as it is in the business world. The only difference is for us, it doesn't come with that same transactional type of relationship. It's very much related to who you know and how you work where you're known. So whether it's during a rotation or it's during a research elective or a clinical or an observership, 
or best case scenario during a preliminary year, there is still a level of networking that can happen. So for the listener, they're going to be thinking, well, you know, Dr. Johnson is telling us this now because he's already, he already had a PGY1 position. They're thinking, how do we even get into a PGY1 position? And the reason I want to talk about this is, is, is here. I get a lot of IMGs that would send me messages and they are interested in surgical specialties. But because they've been told by forums, net, you know, all these Facebook pages and whatnot, that's telling IMGs, oh, you know, surgery is so competitive, don't bother, don't waste your time. And they're hearing all these negative messages about even starting that process out. And I think a lot of them don't even realize that you can start off as a preliminary applicant and then reapply into the match to get a categorical position to complete residency. So can you walk us through how you even found out about that option for preliminary and and maybe how you prepared yourself for the preliminary match? So how did I find out about it? From forums, from reading online, I realized. So let me, let me start from the beginning. So sure. initially, yeah. as I mentioned before, like I wanted to do orthopedic surgery. So I applied to the ortho match initially. Didn't match, obviously. I'm an IMG. I mean, my scores were decent. So just researching more into surgery and the competitive nature of it, I realized that my best bet would be to reapply the next year to general surgery as much programs as possible. 